This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today. Another great episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today, he's a top 100 mobile home park owner. He's an owner, operator, investor. He's based out of Tennessee. Please help me welcome my guest, Abraham Anderson. Abraham, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Ferd. Glad to be here. Well, for those of you who are listening on uh, only on your car, you can't see it, but uh, I can tell you it, he's wearing this, this Rockstar t-shirt that the Nintendo controller. So I have to say, I'm, I'm a little envious. Uh, growing up in the 80s, I played a little NES back in the day, a little Tecmo Super Bowl. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that shirt. But anyway, <laughs> tell me, tell us a little, I know you a little bit uh, for our audience, they may or may not tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got an MHP. Sure. So. I started out in apartments and I did that for a few years. And what really killed me with apartments was turnover and repair and maintenance. You know, I, at the time I had a 20 unit apartment building and always, you know, I'd get it completely full. I think, okay, great. I'm done. You know, and then someone would just run off. Okay. And I'd spend three grand to rehab a unit, get someone else in there. Immediately someone else runs off. And I was just constantly chasing my tail with it. And I was aware of mobile home park investing, but at the time I thought, oh, I don't want to buy a trailer park, you know, and, but after meeting several people in the industry, listening to podcasts just like this, I really, something clicked. And I was like, man, this is what I need to be focused on. So uh, since then, it's been about three or four years, I've been exclusively focused on parks and I've never looked back. Yeah, that's, that's great, man. So uh, maybe tell us how you, how you, got in your first deal you told us how you've kind of converted to you know, this this mindset that this is for you how'd you get started because i know for a lot of uh guys get in the business so there's you know a challenge with deal flow a challenge with financial resources a challenge with bank capacity and then and then frankly just operational know-how so it's a leap of faith for all of us when we take that first that first leap to buy our first part but tell us how you got in there and maybe we, as we go through that we maybe get some tips that you've learned along the way absolutely i'll give you a couple tips on uh getting into it finding a deal and then getting finance. As far as getting into it, just educate yourself, you know, talk with other people that have parts, run it past them, and then just go for it. I mean, you're, you're never going to learn to ride a bicycle by reading a book. At some point, you have to- <laughs> I've, read, I've read that. I've read that book, actually. It's called, it's at a seminar. I think nobody learned to ride a bicycle at a seminar. So get out there. there you go. <laughs> uh, so I love that quote. Um, so you just got to get into it. Uh, you, you'll never know everything and you'll make mistakes, but, you know, hopefully if you've done proper diligence and you're talking with mentors and, and such, such as that, you'll, they'll be small. So as far as getting into it, just once you learn enough, go for it. Uh, as far as getting it financed, what I highly recommend is start talking to banks right now. If you have any experience in any form of real estate before, list that down. I, I put together, what I call the credibility book. I listed other business experience I have, I listed, you know, assets, uh, you know, money I have for, for down payment. And I, at the time, I, before I even owned the park, I managed one for another person. So that gave me some experience there. And I had the, the apartments, but I know people that have had no experience whatsoever and have gotten deals done. So go to a bank here, try to get a pre-approval letter that gives you a lot of credibility, either with mom and pop, if you've never done a deal yet, 
or if you are talking to a broker. And then as far as finding deals, the key is just start calling people. Um, call them up, whatever method. I'm doing everything right now. I'm texting people, calling them, sending them letters. I even show up at their house if I don't get a response. <laughs> <laughs> that, could be, that, could be, that could be risky. I did that one time and it was, I was not welcome. That was, that was made crystal clear. <laughs> uh, it's funny because in Tennessee, most people are really friendly. In other places, it may be different. But when I first uh, uh, started looking for stuff, and even before that, I was in insurance. So I would go door to door. When I was 18, first door I went to, I was terrified. I go up to knock on it, and it was a screened-in porch. So the guy sees me. He says, come on in. What are you selling? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a welcome approach. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, that's, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah, I was buying yeah. land one time with an old business partner. We didn't, we didn't end up buying it. We were looking to buy this farm from our, and turn it into retail development. And similar, he knocks on the door in the little old lady was expecting like her nephew was going to pick her up and take her to the doctor. And she goes, come on in. And we're like, okay, sit there and talk to her for two hours to try to buy her farm. And then we find out she's already given it away to the kids and it's a trust and it was a big waste of time. But, but sure. you know, we thought we were going to get a, get a farm bought that day. But, there you go. Yeah. I've accidentally went to the wrong house. Didn't know it. People let me in and I would sell them insurance. Before I even realized they were, when I start, okay, what's, how do you spell your name? Oh, it's, uh, it's Jason. Oh, I you're not Mr. You know, you're not Mr. Jones. Uh, no. Oh, okay. Just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> you must be a good salesman, man. You can sell that an appointment. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, so, I mean, right now I'd say the easiest is just start cold calling. And in most of the calls you get, you won't get them on the phone. They'll just say, no, I'm not interested. And you'll get a few that I might sell. And the key is the follow-up. Uh, one part, one of the first ones I bought, uh, well, I shouldn't say first ones. One of the first guys I talked to, it took two years before he sold to me, me calling him every month for two years. And then one day I called him said, Hey, you know, Charlie, you ready to sell yet? And he said, yeah, I think I'm ready to sell. And I met with him and signed the contract. I bought two parts from him. So he's wow. follow up. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a little more in a little more detail. Cause um, I hear you say cold calls. I know that's a common technique, but the key is getting a good list, right? Can you share anything on how you're getting the good list and, and how you're getting accurate phone numbers going beyond gatekeepers. And then, and then on that call, how do you set yourself apart? Right. I mean, five years ago, you set yourself apart because you called them right now. Everybody's calling them um, or trying to call them and price is a key factor. And unless you're the guy willing to pay the most price, you gotta, you gotta build rapport or you've got to have some sort of other relationship that's, uh, you know, better than just money. Yeah. So uh, as far as getting good lists, uh, usually I'll uh, start MH Village has a lot of parks um, on there. So I'll go and I'll just get a list from MH Village. And they don't put one out. I just go on there. If I'm looking at a certain city and they list all the parks there and it's not all inclusive. A lot of it, unfortunately, you're going to have to build out yourself. Mm -hmm. Just look at Google Maps, look at parks in there. You can see them from space, <laughs> you know, once you. Uh, you they're very easy. Once you get used to it, they're very easy to identify on Google Maps because they, yes. they look like yes. nothing else. Now, now so I've seen some that it was so dense, it looked like a forest. I didn't even know a park was there. Like all you saw was just a big forest, which is a lot of times you want to stay away from those because trees aren't very fun. But I just bought my second $3,800 sewer auger to get through tree roots. So I know they're not very fun. It's, yeah. it's expensive. There you go. I had one. I know we're getting off topic, but I had one that fell and cut a home in half. And, and there was tenants in either side of the home, but thank God no one got hurt. It just went right down the middle of the home, cut it in half. So 
I got a, <laughs> I got a, well, we're on sidebars. Quite sure, right? We can go on sidebars, right? I got there a story. Go. I got a story on a tree. Um, two stories. One, I, I, I tried to buy, I bought, I owned a house by my old university. It was a single family house. And I tried to buy the house next door. It was in foreclosure, Bank of America. And the only reason I tried to buy it was the biggest tree in Kansas City was next to it. And it was about to fall down and crush that home. And I was going to buy it, not put anybody in there, put insurance on it and let the tree fall. And then I wasn't sure if that was allowed. So I kind of was going to do some more, just do some run some more traps on it. But anyway, I couldn't get it bought. But it, it, inevitably, the tree fell and hit the home and, and crushed half the home. Um, but then I, my second tree story, I owned, a, I owned a mobile home and I was, uh, I was selling it to somebody on terms. This is years ago. Uh, there's a lot of gray area on that now. But um, tree fell on it, crushed one third of the house. The backyard industry, and you know, a, a mobile home is a vehicle. It's per, it's titled personal property, so it has a title. Well, I still owned it. I was selling on terms, so I had insurance on it. I had insured for like ten thousand, and that's what I was selling for. And insurance company came out and they said your vehicle's totaled, so they cut me a check for ten thousand, and two thirds of the home is still usable. So I said, can I keep the home? And they said, yeah, but you can't get insurance on it ever again. So I talked to the buyer and I said, hey, what if we rebuild the structure, fix the home? If it's satisfactory, you can move back in. In the meantime, you move down the street. I said, okay. They moved out. We fixed the home in a month, got back in, told them we couldn't have insurance. They gave them some form of discount, like 20% or something. And they bought the home for $8,000. So I, saw, I got the insurance claim and I sold the house that had abandoned, it had salvaged title, but it was, it was uninsurable. Um, but anyway, the tree—it was. I was really pleased that that tree fell on there because I ended up making out pretty good. Well, I yeah, this is my only tree store—the one that got cut in half. But I, I similarly benefited from that. It was very unusual. Uh, the guy and he on and in my leases, I require everyone to have insurance. You know, tracking that's very hard. I would say probably ninety-five percent of them don't have any. But this was probably the one guy in the park that had insurance on his home. So, yeah, the tree the cut in half. I didn't think it was even could be saved, but. Insurance company says it's totaled and gives him a check for seventy-two thousand dollars. Wow! For a ninety single wire. I mean, he had it overinsured, mm-hmm. so he gets. Uh, and then I had one vacant home in the park. I sold him that home for cash because he had this insurance claim. Got the money from that. Was going to tear the home down. Someone says, "Hey, can I buy that home from you?" And the guy t- gave me the title to now the pretty much destroyed home. I gave it to him very cheap and he fixed it up, looked better than it did before. So now I have a hundred percent occupied park and actually profitable <laughs> the tree hey, Better lucky than good, man. The good to be in debt with yeah. insurance. Yeah, yeah. That's great. But as far as so once you have a list and like I said, first pick an area you like. I mean, a lot of times I, I for me, I started in my own backyard where I live in Tennessee. I started calling parks around there or going to their house if I couldn't get them on the phone. And I'll give one website. This is a good tip here. TruePeopleSearch.com. You can't run a whole list through there, but you can do an individual search and it's pretty accurate data and it's completely free. So I've used that quite a few times. When I get them on the phone, there's a lot of people think there's some magic formula. If you say this, so they'll sell it to you. It's really just about timing and they do have to like you. Um, so just be a friendly person, actually listen to them. Don't, you know, don't come off like you're trying to sell them something because you're not really, you're trying to give them money, but I'll just call them up. I'll say, Hey, my name's Abraham. You know, I live in the area and, or you know, I own parks. And I, have you ever thought about selling your park? And that's it. You know, and then they'll say either I'm not interested or yeah, I thought about it or no, I'm going to leave it to my kids or 
they call me back in a month. So, uh, and then if the answer is no, I don't want to sell it. I ask, uh, well, would you look at an offer? And a lot of times, yeah, I'll look at an offer. Then I'll get the details from them. Uh, or if they say not right now, I say, well, would it be okay if I called you in a month or a couple of months? And I get them to tell me what's morning or afternoon. Is that better for you? And then I'll just put it on my calendar and call them up again. So that's really the key to it. And the other key I'd say is just keep your funnel full. If you talk to a hundred people, that's better than 50 and you know, 50 is better than 10. So just, just keep at it. And eventually you will find a deal. Great tip. Sounds like you learned that from the insurance business. There you go. <laughs> I sold insurance during grad school. So I, I'm familiar with this. It's similar down a business model. Can I call you back in and, and then do it? And then yeah. a lot of guys don't do it. The follow through yeah. sets you apart. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And, and the other, I'll say another great tip is if they are somewhat interested in selling, yeah, I might, you know, and a lot of them want to look at you in the face. I mean, most of these people are baby boomers, 65 and up. They're not used to doing everything over the phone necessarily. Some of them don't even have computers still. So if they're interested, I always will try to see them in person. Well, hey, you know, I'd love to talk with you further about it. You know, could I come see you? And obviously, if you're in California calling the East Coast, that might be a little bit difficult. But if you're within even a few hours, you know, just go see them. And it could be a complete waste of time, like you mentioned, your land story. Um, and I've had several like that. But uh, you don't know until you try. And you might that might be the one. Uh, where no one else was willing to do that. Uh, one park I bought, it, the only deal I've done that was no money down, 100% seller finance. Um, I think I put down a half of a percent when I purchased the park. I talked to the guy and I met him in person about once a week for three months before he'd signed a contract. It was about an hour and a half drive from my house. <laughs> so every week I would go see this guy with the contract every time. I don't know. I don't want to really want to do it right now. And, and but this wasn't me like pressuring him, keep going to see him. He kept asking me, come back next week, come back next week, you know? Wow. And so after three months, he signed a contract and we got a deal done. So. Hey, that works, man. That's uh, setting yourself apart. That's great. Well, that, those are some great tips and stories. Do you have any horror stories or you know, lessons learned? Don't do this. I mean, obviously we all make mistakes, but you have anything that could a mistake you made that you'll never make again that we you should share with our audience. Yes, I have. Uh, I'll give you two. <laughs> Uh, one of them would apply to parks, but this was when I was doing apartments. Uh, I had, or I'll give you the mobile home park mistake first. Make sure you have a good contract. Uh, one of the first deals I got under contract, excellent deal. I was so excited about it. And then right before closing, the seller gets a higher offer. So they try to back out on me. And I come to find out that the contract I have is uh, not enforceable. So that was a big experience to me or a big learning eye opener. Uh, make sure you have a good contract. Don't just get one from the internet and think it's going to be any good, you know, pay, uh, you know, a couple grand or whatever it costs to have an attorney review it and make sure it's a solid contract for your state um, before you go and try to put deals together with that. Because, you know, uh, you know, $500,000 might sound like a lot, but it's a lot less than losing out, you know, on a park with a million dollar upside because you had the wrong contract. So that, that was a painful lesson. That's a good point. I'm, the, the term that I think you want in the contract is called specific performance, where you make them specifically perform. And I'm in litigation right now, not my deal, but a client's deal that they didn't have that in there properly. And now, and then now the guy didn't want to close. And, yep. they got, and they, they're, they're having to fight him over it. So that's definitely important. In yep. fact, when, I, when I'm a buyer, 
there's only a few terms that I absolutely must have. And that is one of them. And then another one would be crystal clear that my earnest money is refundable. So long as I terminate within my inspection period, those are probably, I think those are the two most important provisions. Yes. um, In a contract. A hundred percent agreed. And the other tip involves diligence. And this was on my uh, apartment deal. I did the apartments. They were fairly new. They were built between 99 and 2005. And this was one of my first real estate deals in general. So uh, do my inspections inside the units, all that. I did not even uh, think about, well, I need to check these AC units. You know, I checked when I was in there, all the ACs were working fine. The tenants said they're good. Well, of course, I close on them and it's like a domino effect. One after the other starts going out. These are $4,000, $5,000 to replace. Mm. So I think within the first two years of me owning it, I had seven units go out, you know, to the tune of, you know, 20, 30 grand. So I, I, the, the key is uh, I have a, a diligence checklist I'll go through uh, with parks, you know, and this is applicable really to any form of real estate. And I go through every single line, you know, if there's park on homes, check the condition of them, check the, the utility setup, you know, the zoning letter, all of these things, you have to go through every one of them because you'll miss one of them. And then that, that'll be the end, <laughs> you know, that'll be uh, the one that gets you in the, invariably. Agree completely. You know, it's what I think Benjamin Franklin said: "With diligence is the mother of luck." Um, be be prudent, be diligent. It's just, I, I, it's just baffling to me. People don't do it. It seems like it's, it's a good tip, it's good advice, but it, it, I feel like everybody knows it. But then I see regularly, like, nope, somebody didn't know it. What are you doing? I mean, yep. I know a guy that bought a mobile home park, never looked at it. Mm-hmm. I looked good at the brochure; it was great. But you never. How busy are you that you never went to this and you just dropped a million dollars? Yeah. Then now yeah, I know it's a problem. It's almost too far-fetched to believe, but you see it happen on a regular basis. I talked to a guy the other day, the same situation. Um, he was out of, he, he was a different state, bought this park. Uh, I think he went to it like once. And now it's negative cash flowing several grand a month. He's having to feed this thing because there's so many issues that would have you would have found out in your first couple of days of doing diligence on it. But he just never bothered to do it. And now it's just a huge mess. So do your diligence. You know, this is this is real. <laughs> this is a serious thing. And, um, and there's a reason why. I mean, most of the deals I've, I've got under contract, I've closed. But there's some that huge things came up, like there's massive septic issues or half the parks in the floodplain or no one's paying that. You know, if you don't find these out, these can, you know, be detrimental. So just find out. And I'm, you know, you should be scared, but don't stop. Don't let it stop you from finding, <laughs> finding parks. And the key is, let's, if it's an issue that can be solved, you know, then go back to them and try to get a concession. If it's a legitimate thing that you did not know on the front end, for example, uh, one park I did, I bought, I had under contract, and I did my diligence. Turns out there were six less occupied than they claimed. There were issues with there was an underground spring that was kept destroying the road. Like there's a huge section of the road where water would just gush out of it, and right. I knew that was I mean, the road was an issue. But uh, so and it, it, all that could be fixed though. Lots could be filled because otherwise it's a great area. Everything else, but went back to them. You know, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. Uh, you know, we thought it was this many occupied. There's six fewer. There's this underground spring we didn't know about, and to fix these issues, it's going to be you know whatever it is, fifty thousand, hundred thousand. And the worst they can say is no. You know, if they tell you, no, I'm not going to give you a, a credit, then you can decide if you still want to proceed at that point. But you can still buy it, you know, at the price you agreed upon. 
Um, but uh, if you don't ask, you'll never, you know, you'll never know. So do your diligence and then uh, that solves probably 95% of issues. No, those are good points. I mean, I think everybody hates a retrade, um, but sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it's necessary. So it's just how do you do it tastefully and how do you do it effectively? And sometimes sellers, I had a seller, the guy wouldn't budge a penny. He was 90, 95 years old, deaf. He read, he could read your lips, but I had to, I met him once. He could read my lips, but then during all the future negotiations, I had to call his attorney's office. He'd have to go to his attorney. I'd set up an appointment and then the attorney would talk to him and say, he's sitting across from me. He is, he's listening to me. And it was a big translation the whole time. And I was threatening, I don't know, X dollars of, not even, it wasn't even that significant to be honest, X dollars of concession because he had misrepresented some stuff and he needed to sell. He didn't want to, you know, I thought he would cave. He said, I'm not caving a penny. The attorney, I talked to the attorney the next day, attorney's like, he needs to cave is appropriate. And I've recommended to him, he needs to sell his property. His wife is sitting in my office. His wife is telling him to cave. His two daughters flew in, one from Nashville and one from Denver to talk to him, dad, sell the property. And he just got on the phone and said, nobody else has a say in this. I'm not dropping a penny. If you want to walk, walk. If you don't, don't. And it was, and you know what? He beat me and I, I caved. And, I, and he, you know what? I tried and it was, it was appropriate. I thought, and, and I hate doing the retrade, but that was one instance where it, I thought it made some sense, but it was a bluff yep. and man, he called it. So I was like, yeah. I thought I was a good negotiator, but I'm, I'm outing well, yeah. that I'm 0 and 1 against old men. So. Well, uh, yeah, there you go. You know, I've had it happen. I've only out of the 14 or actually more than that, deals I've done uh I've only twice went back for concessions one time they gave it to me that yep okay that sounds reasonable uh, here you go the other time same thing it was a huge issue too um it was 10 fewer occupied in a pretty big park and there were some other issues and he said nope yeah if you want it buy it if not I'll sell it to somebody else <laughs> yep. and so in that case I still proceed and it made <clears throat> sense and as far as doing it tastefully you know don't just say hey I want 50 grand off just because it has to be a legitimate reason on all the other deals I've done. I don't ask for money off. Um, if they, you know, if, if nothing comes up that I wasn't aware of on the front end, I had to do it tastefully is like, for example, if there's a, uh, you know, like in this case, the road couldn't be fixed until this spring was resolved, get the quotes from several people about, you know, running the lines and, and, and doing the, the French drains and everything else to resolve it then bring them with you when you go to present them, you know, this is the issue I didn't know about. This is what it's going to cost to fix. Um, and that, that's a lot more than, Hey, you know, give me 50 grand off the price because I think I don't like the way the, you know, the homes look or something. So that would be my tip as far as if you have to retrade then that's how you go about it. Yeah. And I used to, I used to do it verbally either in person or over the phone, typically over the phone. And I felt like that was a, heroic way to do it so to speak as in courageous as opposed to being like i'm just going to do the email but what i've learned is emotions are high intentions are high and then once you say something you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube so what i've what i've come to do is kind of like your bids is a, a well-written out analytical here's what i found and there's ranges you know and the prices and at the bottom is just like there's this big i don't even put a number in there at the beginning I used to do that. I need 50,000. I'd say, look, there's problems of anywhere between 50 and 200,000 that you didn't disclose. Those are material. And as a result, I'm not feeling as comfortable with the purchase price. And I, 
and I'm going to take a few days and evaluate whether or not I can proceed or, or what it's going to take for me to proceed. I ask that you consider the same and we can regroup in a few days. And they got time to sleep on it. And then that's, that has a number of impacts. One is it takes the motion out. They'll just yell at you and call you everything under the sun. And, and, they'll, and then and likewise. But then two, they, have to, they start to spin their wheels on the, the worst case scenario, which is, oh my gosh, this guy's going to drop the contract. I'm going to be stuck in this trailer park. Ugh, I want to get out. I'm ready to retire. I'm ready to... And they, spend, they have several days thinking about that, or they have several, day, several days thinking of, he gave somewhat legitimate proof of 50 to 250. This guy's going to want $250,000 off. And then we talk again. He says, well, I'm open to a little bit, but I can't do what you're talking about. number. I said, well, I had a number of 75,000 in mind. And they'd be like, oh, well, I could only think about it, you know, and, 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 sure. and then, he, then they give, and then it happened, right, versus 250. Um, and I've had it happen without even a counteroffer. And obviously, I've left some wiggle room, right? Um, so that's been an effective strategy for me. And, um, and again, like you, I don't do it very often. I hate it. And in fact, I purposely, recently, I had a deal we closed with just under $3 million, And I think I could have did it some couple concessions, you know, probably 75000 or something. But the seller has another park that's probably worth $10 million. Yep. And I'd love to buy it from him. And on the day of closing, one of my business partners went and shook his hand and who had met him and found the deal. I said, go shake his hand and tell him, just for, we just want you to know we didn't retrade you on price. We do what we said we would do. And we just want you to remember that. And if you're, when you're ready to sell the next park, we closed. We didn't trade price, just like we said we do. We just want you to remember that. And who knows? It may, it may, it may get me a $10 million deal. It may... It may not at all because I because because I can't pay eleven man and somebody else can't. Sure, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I always try, if ever possible, to keep a good relationship with them. And I've had situations where even they'll fight me about several of the deposits or, or something like that. And if it's not a great amount, I'll just give it to them. You know, that's fine. You know, you can keep it, especially if they're financing in any shape or form. Even if they're not, I mean, what if? You own the park, you know, three years later, you have some big, uh, you know, a, a sewage issue or utility issue and you call up mom and pop say, hey, um, where is this line at? I'm having this issue. Well, if, if you were you fought about every you know, nickel and diamond and this little, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> uh, don't, don't ruin that relationship. You know, the relationship is worth more than, you know, even a few thousand dollars. So that's yeah. that's a great point. And first park I bought and we bought it, we not cash. I got a bank loan. We bought it with the cash. So we didn't have self-financing. So the seller didn't, didn't need us. We didn't need them. So we thought, but just being nice guys, we were nice guys on the deal and didn't think I'd ever talk to the seller again. And it was our first deal, right? So we didn't really know what we were doing. So we were submetering. Well, then we're like, Oh, well, when you submeter, you got to, what do you got to do? We got to turn off the water to the whole park. Where's that? I didn't know where that was. And we were around a main city street on the edge of town, but in the same, in a city, in city water. And I was like, there's no shutoff valve. I think we're like direct wired or direct piped, you know, if you will. And then what we got to get the city involved and we got to shut off the water. We got to put in a main, we got to put it, it's going to be a huge, it's going to be a $10,000 problem. And we looked everywhere and we had a survey, but I didn't know as much then as I do now on table A alter. It wasn't on my survey, you know, it was the, the, the so I was stuck. So my dad calls the seller and said, and asked him, you know where the water main is? 
shutoff is? Is there, is there not one? And he goes, oh, he goes, you'll never find it. He goes, you know that creek on the back of the property? We're like, yeah, isn't that the property line? Well, it is the property line, but on the other side of the creek, 25 feet into the cornfield, there's my shutoff valve on the farmer's property. And we're like, you have to be kidding me. We would have, we would, you're right, we would have never found that. He goes, yep. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what, that's what the guy told me before that. I would have never found it either. So because we had a good relationship, he told us that saved us $10,000. That's, that's, that's awesome. And thank God I can say with every seller uh, I've done so far, I'm on good terms with them and I'll even still send them Christmas cards and stuff, you know, picture my family. So oh, I'll send that's, that out we should do that. That's, that's really creative. That's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and real quick, I had a similar story. Same thing. Uh, it was a park and the guy was wanting to keep, I think it was like $4,000, $5,000 in deposits. And my first thing sinks is, no, I'm, I'm not going to let him have those, you know, and, and, and he had his reasoning for wanting to keep them. But I said, well, you know, OK, I'll just oh, you can have them. That's fine. Well, you know, about a month later, started getting called. This is city sewer park, but kept having septic issues, not septic, uh, sewage issues at this one home. And uh, I found out, OK, I need to get another sewer tap. Uh, city told me I couldn't find anybody in this town to bring out the equipment and, and run it. So I call him up to see if. You know, if he knew anyone, he said, hey, I'll do it for you. I said, really? He said, yeah, he had his own equipment, you know, heavy machinery. <laughs> so he's out there the next day digging it up. He runs the line, does everything. He charged me like so little. I think it was like 500 bucks. So that alone was, you know, the money I would have uh, was fighting back with the deposits. And I still have a great relationship with him. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I want to give one other tip as far as operations. And as far as I'm aware, there's only a couple other park owners I've talked to that have been doing this, but I think it's becoming more common. Uh, we do not take any uh, checks or money orders or any of that. We require everyone to either pay online or at Walmart or Kroger. We use rent manager, so that allows them to do that. There's other systems where they can pay like at CVS or even Dollar General, right. and but we use rent manager. So every property we've got, we're managing I think it's a little over 1,200 lots right now between me and my business partner. And every park, we've never had any issues. We convert them all over. Hey, you can, here's, if you want to pay at Walmart, take this card to them. If you want to pay online, here's the form to do that. And, you know, old people, older people that, you know, maybe, or maybe not tech savvy people, they still go shopping, you know, for the groceries at Walmart or Kroger or wherever. So they go pay at the store, you know, more tech savvy people, they'll go online and pay. So never had any issues. Uh, and that's been so much of a, uh, time saver and gets rid of headaches. You don't have any bounce checks. You don't have, oh, I mailed it, you know, last Thursday and it never got in or the mail was lost and you don't have to enter it and it's all done automatically. So that's been a huge a time saver for us is automating the, the collections. That's a great tip. Yeah. I've got one other client that does that. We don't do it hundred percent. We do have pay lease through Ram Manager to do that. And I do love it, but uh, we haven't been forced it as hard as you have. So you, you have you not had anybody get heartburn about it and threaten to leave or, or actually leave because because some people don't have bank accounts. So they and there's fees when you do that, you know. So that's there's some pain to it, if you will. But it's definitely sure. easier from it's much easier and, and timely, frankly, as well from a bookkeeping perspective. Yeah. It's fine. I've had two people threaten to leave over it out of like I said twelve hundred. No one's left. I've had you know dozens of people saying, "Oh, that's so cool! I can pay my rent at Walmart." <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I've had much more positive response than negative. Well, man, that sounds like great. I might, I might have to implement that because, yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, definitely easier for a bookie because it also, I think, I'm pretty sure it just it, it automatically puts their it credits to their account, their tenant ledger yep. and rent manager. So you've already exactly. got the entry done. 
So think about the time you spend paying somebody to enter that in, or if you're a newer operator, don't have many parts doing it yourself. I may save you several hours a month. Uh, And then also, as far as I know, there are fees with it. The way we have it set up, and you can basically set who pays the fees. If they pay online with a bank account, uh, there's no fee to them. So there's a free way to pay. Uh, They can pay with their bank account one time. They don't have to set it up recurring. It pulls the money out, and that's it. You, the property owner, pays $1 for that. Um, and you can actually negotiate that fee down as well once you get scale with units. But, and then if they pay at Walmart with cash or a debit card, they d- it does charge them $4. So we tell them up front, you know, there's a couple of ways to pay. Um, this one's free. This one, you know, it costs $4. And, and th- those are the options. And like I said, never had any issues. Great stuff. Great tips. Appreciate it, Abraham. Before we go, anything else you want to share? Or if not, where can people find you and contact you? Yeah. So just uh, briefly, you know, Anyone can do it, Parks. If I can do it, you can do it. It's one of the easier, really, real estate classes to get into. Seller financing is more prevalent um, for several reasons. Uh, so it's just an awesome business. I feel like it's really now starting to take hold and become more professional. And, and so there's still a lot of opportunity to get some of these parks that you know older operators are running and uh, they haven't. They're not as you know professional about it. So um, you know there's great opportunities out there. And just get started. You know, if you've got the information, start calling. You'll find the money. You'll, you'll find a way to get to finance if you can get a good deal, whether it's partnering with somebody or raising the money. Um, just just to try to find a good deal and just, you know, go for it. Um, as far as where to contact me, um, you can I have a website, capitalcashflow.com. You can email me from there. And, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'd love to talk to people. You know, it's uh, a lot of people have helped me out along the way, and I'm happy to talk to others and help out any way I can. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate it, Abraham. Yeah. Thanks, Rude. You got it. Bye now. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.